So there. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. Why do you keep saying let us know your thoughts? Let me know your thoughts to me is a nice lead-in for So There. So There. Welcome to episode 38 of So There. I'm Gary Doyle. And I'm Tom Karamitis. Hi, Tom. Good to see you again, Gary. Yes, good to see you again. We're, you know, a lot of people don't know this. They probably don't know. We should probably make a making of documentary of the pod sometime so people know how all the magic happens. But Tom Tom and I are never in the same room uh, since the pandemic. We are in separate, our, our respective homes, and we see each other on our little phones, on our screens, on our phones, and then have an elaborate audio setup. So it all, it all through Tom Karamitis's masterful production uh, abilities comes together. But we're, we are seeing each other, but not, not really. One of the nicer things about the pandemic is not having to actually see each other in person anymore. <laughs> I, I've, I've had this conversation with you know, with people at work and people at work are like, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, I want to go back to the office. I miss seeing people. I'm like, I don't, I really don't. I mean, I like the people I work with generally. I, you know, I, uh, I, they're good people. I like them, most of them, but I don't really want to go to work. I don't need to see them. I, I'm fine seeing them on Zoom and talking them, talking to them on Zoom. I, you know, uh, and I go back and forth on that as well. I, for me, I feel like the days go faster when there was a commute involved. Really? Yeah, a little bit. Plus, there's there's built-in exercise. I get a walk to and from the train. Yeah. There's a nice break in the day when you can go out and get a sandwich or something. Although I know Gary Doyle never never buys his lunch. He always brown bags it. Never. But. Uh, I just kind of feel like the day moved faster. I, I feel like to, r- working from home, it's a bit of a, I don't know, it's a bit of a jail sentence. I, I go into a room and I don't emerge until end of the day. And and just the the, the sheer monotony. I, I miss going to edits. I miss, mm, yes. you know, I don't know. It's yes. a whole separate thing. That is That is the one aspect of my job that I miss from the pandemic is production, without a doubt. Uh, editing shooting working with directors you know uh working with production people to make something that is that is definitely free lunches i miss free lunches and i i'm very and i I find i miss traveling in a in a weird way i you know i I don't want to travel all the time and i didn't travel all the time pre-pandemic but but it's nice to every now and then travel it's nice to go somewhere it's nice to you know somebody makes your own bed every day What's not to like about that? Oh yeah, no, I absolutely. It was. Uh, I mean, let, let's face it. That was, that was the reward I always felt for you know, doing a good job at work, and you, you come up with a good idea, and the client likes it, wants to make it. So your reward was to actually go out and make it, and um, you know. So a lot of the the for me, a lot of the fun aspects of the job are kind of gone. You know, and and admittedly, working from home, there's a there's a lot of convenience. There's you spend less money, obviously, so that's all good. Right. But um, you know, I I don't know. I I 
I, I when this whole thing started and oh we're gonna be working from home for a while I was kind of excited uh, because as we've discussed many times commuting is a pain in the butt you know um, especially when the weather's lousy um, mm-hmm. but uh, no I'm with you I I, I don't know uh, v- virtual production where and, and our industry has has adapted incredibly well to virtual production but it is not easy and it's I find it just is really frustrating I wouldn't know I've had no shoot since the pandemic i've had any production i had i've had no live action shooting i've had uh you know graphics jobs or you know using stock footage or you know re-edits a lot of that but never any actual shooting i'll give you a quick microcosm of what the what 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 it's like and that is you know you, you basically the output of the camera is shared on a Zoom link. So everybody who's involved in the shoot gets to look at the camera output, right? So you have 10 people, you have four agency people, five, six agency people, four clients, all staring at a lock-off shot of a living room while they're lighting and stuff. And as a result, people, people spend far too much time fixating on things they shouldn't be fixating on. And um, it ends up, you get like, you know, on a real shoot, people would be milling about. They'd be going to the craft service table. They'd be having side conversations. But I feel feel like people feel a need to contribute in some way. So you'll end up getting comments like, you know, that lamp in the background, just wondering if we have anything else to look at. And, you know, it becomes just a lot of, I don't know, virtual navel gazing to me. Mm. It's not, it's, What's that? No, go ahead. Do you stock the uh, the desk surrounding your laptop do you stock it with craft service table items like <laughs> like turkey jerky and corn nuts and uh and and dusted chocolate almonds from trader joe's and do you go to trader joe's before your virtual shoot and just stock your desk with all kinds of because that's what they do on craft service tables everything from trader joe's dried mangoes uh, cherries chocolate covered cherries uh tortilla chips on and on and on. No, I and don't. That's a that's a good idea. I I, I feel like though the, the the my greatest night potential nightmare on a virtual shoot is if you're shooting in Australia and have to do like seven days in a row of all nighters because of the time difference. Yeah. Odd odd how craft service tables. You know, the uh, odd thing about craft service tables is they they and they uh, they usually have a big bowl of vitamin supplements. Like there's all kinds of you know, uh, every kind of vitamin supplement you've ever heard of and some you've never heard of because they're big in Los Angeles, like, uh, you know, shark kelp, you know, or, <laughs> or you know, it's these pills that uh, that craft service tables have. And I, you know. And those, those little packets make it from shoot to shoot and shoot to shoot and never get opened. Uh, did you hear that? Yeah, was that you? Just, that was a call from Maddie. <laughs> you, you want to take it live on the air? No, I declined it because my podcast is more important than the call from my daughter. Uh, she'll be listening, so she'll be happy to hear that. Um, yeah, I remember one time at a craft service table. I well, I've done this more than once. So I will take some random pills like uh, like Echinacea X Complex and and uh, and and seaweed. Uh, you know, uh, so I'll, I'll take a handful of these pills and put them in a cup, and I'll hand them to somebody, and I'll say, "Take these," and they'll go, "What are they?" And I'll go, "Just take them." 
<laughs> and it's kind of a test. And, you know, more often than not, they do take them. And then I tell them, you just had, um, you know, <laughs> vi- like vit- vitamin the- D14. It's an updated version of a 1960s psychedelic drug party, you know, where they had bowls of pills of different colors and you didn't know. (laughs) I do find uh, kind of an offshoot of what you're saying. The craft service table is a good opportunity to try something you've always wondered about, but would never actually spend your own money to try. I'll give you an example. I remember seeing bottles of coconut water. And I Mm. remember thinking, that sounds really good. I really love coconut. I love coconut sorbet. It's my favorite Mm -hmm. dessert. And I thought, oh, you know what? This could be the start of a new favorite beverage of mine. Let me try a bottle of coconut water. And I choked down one gulp and I never touched it again. It was, I thought it was vile. It tasted nothing like coconut to me. Yeah, it doesn't. That's an odd. That's an odd uh, insight that coconut water doesn't taste like coconut. I, I, I love coconut too. And I don't enjoy coconut water. Odd odd it's like almond milk tastes a little like almonds but coconut water not so much okay but why and you know the 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 soy milk the almond milk uh why what is the purpose of the word milk Mm. in those descriptions is it Mm. because it's white Mm. good question Mm. well if you had a bottle of something called liquid liquid soy extract you know, who would drink that? All right. Well, then why not almond nectar, right? Or, <laughs> you know, the, the milk thing. And maybe it's just because it's, it's, it's white. But anyway. Well, anyway. that's a million dollar marketing idea right. right there. Almond nectar. Speaking of marketing, I, w- I wanted to make a real quick observation. I- I'm a big fan of the... Of, of a lot of the work that Progressive does. You know, I think their campaigns are very funny, and I, we, we've discussed them a few times. Although I think they have kind of um, hit a bit of a speed bump uh, on, on the guys with the signs. I don't mm-hmm. find the least bit funny, right? Mm. It started as one, one spot of the guy who twirls the signs, and now they've built a, a whole world around that guy. Uh, and I don't find them funny. Do you know spots I'm talking about? Yes, and I have no idea what they're about. All right. But most of progressives work, while I like it like you, I have no idea what it's about. I mean, I guess I need to generally pay close, closer attention since most most advertisements mystify me these days and most movies and television shows really have struggled to follow anything, really. So I guess I guess it's really it's my problem, but I, I've, ne- I've never really understood Flo, what, what, what her point is why is she there i've never understood the sign things i i, ne- I don't understand while i very much like the work uh, the, the work about um you know uh, progressive can't keep you from becoming your parents is very funny work and they have these workshops teaching young people how not to become their parents no idea what that, what that has to do with progressive no idea what the product is no idea what why are they talking about we want to keep you from becoming your parents. While it's very amusing and extremely well done, no clue as to what this is for. Is this for? Is this a message to millennials saying this is not your parents' car insurance? It's car insurance meant for millennials? Okay, but I don't get that from that. I have no clue, zero clue. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember years ago, and you and I were at Leo Burnett at the same time, when Oldsmobile did uh, This Is Not Your Father's Oldsmobile, and the whole campaign was based on getting young people 
interested in Oldsmobiles. So they did a campaign, I think, with like famous fathers and their kids. They had William Shatner and his daughter, you know, and, yeah. you know, so, but at least then, yeah, I, I, to your point, I, I understood that, but, right. um, but I, I do find that campaign for, for Progressive is so well done. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I just find, I watch those spots every time they come on. Every, they're just, the casting's great, the writing's great, the performance is great. It's just well done, but yeah, why? What is it, what, what is it about, what happens when you become your parents? Do you, is, is it, you're right, is this a different kind of insurance product that doesn't really appeal to them or, 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 or what? So there. And now, Tom, we'd like to introduce a segment we like to call I Decree. Decree. So, I went down to Florida to uh, to visit my father-in-law and uh, noticed something in the airport that uh, that I've noticed before, but I wanted to talk about. And this is... Uh, a grown man saw a grown man wearing a professional sports jersey. I think it was a Pittsburgh Steelers football jersey, you know, um, which are never, never um, becoming on a man because they kind of just drape over them. You know, they're large kind of garments that just sort of drape over them. But this, but then this man had his uh what um what i have to assume was his own name on the back it was not a professional uh, steelers professional football player it was it was it was clearly uh it was clearly his own name i forget what it was but it wasn't anything famous and so it made me it made me think that if i were king that i would decree that no man shall wear a professional sports jersey with their own name on the back. I own a Chicago Cubs uh, jersey that I, I had made once. I forget. I think a client gave it to me or something, and I had it made. But I have put on the name. I put the on the back uh, Saint Hubbins, with the and the number was eleven on the uh, jersey, and the name was Saint Hubbins. So that's different. But you shall not put your own name on the jersey. I, I think there is a continuum of acceptability uh, on that idea. You you described the extreme end of unacceptability, which is a grown man putting his own or woman putting his or her own name on the back of a professional sports jersey to somehow indicate that Gus Schultz plays for the Cubs. <laughs> um, to me, what's what's slightly more acceptable is a grown person wearing a, an actual jersey with a player's name on it. I think that's more acceptable. Um, I still get hung up on the idea of a, of, of an, a grown adult kind of making believe they're a 22-year-old athlete or something. I, to me, the most acceptable way, personally, to to reflect your 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 loyalty to your team is to wear some kind of logo wear of that team, but not a jersey like. Green Bay Packers, you know, uh, 2017 NFC champions. That, that, that to me is, that shows I'm a Packers fan. I bought a piece of memorabilia, but I'm not trying to make believe I'm a player. 
that's where I get hung up. You get like a fat dude who's making believe he's a player. And, and you know, it, now I will say these rules, these Tom Karamitis rules do not apply to children. If you're, if you're under 18, I, I totally get it. I was a kid once too. I idolized certain players. But I think once you reach adulthood and into middle age, it just looks strange to me. Yeah. And you're right that most most people that wear professional, most men, not, not women, I think most men that wear professional sports jerseys are large. Partially because they always wear the jersey untucked. <laughs> Nobody wears jerseys tucked in. <laughs> Except the players during the game. <laughs> Interesting. If they're really paying homage to the players by wearing their jersey, why wouldn't they tuck them in like the jer- like the players do? I believe that's a penalty in any league if their jerseys are not tucked in. Yeah. And why just why stop there? Why not put that kind of black stuff under your eyes? You know, why not? Why not wear cleats to the game? <laughs> I always thought it was funny. Adults who will bring a baseball glove to the game. You know. Oh, I've done that. So you will wear a jersey and bring a glove. Do you wear a hat too? <laughs> Do you wear a jock? I don't. <laughs> Where does it stop? <laughs> I wear a jock everywhere. It's just a weird affectation. You of, never of mine. know, because you never know. <laughs> One time, I don't bring gloves to the game anymore. But when I was in my twenties, I uh, I went to a White Sox game at the old Comiskey Park, and went to batting practice. And I sat down with my friends right inside the uh, the right field foul, foul pole, and I took my seat. And the moment after I took my seat, here comes a ball my way. And I caught it on the fly with you my did. Mitt, with my mitt. It was pretty damn cool. All right. Well, then that's... On the fly. So there. I, I had one, uh, one opportunity in my life to catch a foul ball. Uh, I did not have a glove. Uh, and it, I was on the, the first base side. Uh, and, I, it was, it, and I remember it, I had my hands outstretched. And it hit the area, the base of my palms. And it bounced off. And somebody else caught it. But I remember how much it hurt. That was the oh, one yeah. opportunity I'll ever have. It's 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 hard to catch them barehanded. Oh, believe me. Yeah, I, I uh, years ago uh, when I was younger, I almost ran my sister over trying to get a ball. We still talk about that at Wrigley. And uh, a few, uh, just a couple years ago, I was in the upper deck, first first or second row of the upper deck, and the foul uh, right above uh, first base. And uh, the, to your point, the Cubs batter hit a foul ball, and, th- and those things come screaming at you. You know, even in you're in the upper deck, it's not like you're in the lower deck in that danger zone. It was, you know, uh, and it came right to me. Never had this happen. Came right to me. I didn't move, uh, and like, and I panicked, and and totally gacked it, and and fumbled it away, and somebody else got it. And literally, as the ball hit me in the hands, I said, "Oof." <laughs> I know this because my friend, my friend told me that later. It's like you literally said, "Oof." <laughs> as it bounced off my chest and then uh, bounced away and somebody else snagged it so there oof <laughs> alright so I was out for my walk the other day and I know recently we talked about um 
people putting strange signs outside their houses like, you know, like whatever, happiness lives here or, you know, love or whatever, you know. Hate has no home here. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I saw a, kind of an extension of that idea, which, um, and it was, it was really puzzling to me, and that's the people who set up kind of um, bizarre tableaus in their front yard somewhere, you know. Um, I remember the old days of the show Family Feud, when they'd introduce the families. They'd have them set up in some kind of weird still life, you know, like a Norman Rockwell-ish arrangement. And it kind of reminded me of that. I, I went by a house in our neighborhood the other day, and they had like, they had a little, a little stool and some milking jugs. So they're obviously trying to set up a little bit of a, a, of a tableau about milking dairy cows at the farm. And I just didn't know why you'd set this up with little tiny props arranged carefully. What? Is this in somebody's front yard? Yeah. Well, you know what? how like, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, people will put like sometimes a little... Um, like at Christmas time, you'll see it all the time, a little sleigh or whatever. You set up a little scene, and I get that, part of your holiday de- decorations. And sometimes I'll see, you know, re- you know, religious items, you know, set up, you know. But this guy had kind of a little bit of a life on the farm, still life set up for the, for the neighbors. And I don't really, I, I guess, and maybe some of our listeners can, can write in, it's so there at yahoo.com, but I don't really understand what... How, 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 if you're going to do that, how do you decide what kind of scene you want to set up? Like, you know, that this was like a little bucolic kind of farm thing. Could you also do something where it's, you know, <laughs> 50s greaser on his motorcycle? I mean, where do you draw the line? Is it just anything that, 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 that comes to mind, you know, you're going to set up? And, 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 and how long do you keep it up? Is it forever? You know, you obviously haven't seen this. I know you live in a very exclusive gated community. Mm-hmm. Right, so no mm-hmm. one can get in or walk around your neighborhood. But in my neighborhood, I see this sort of thing. It's figure. It's it's figuratively gated. Let's just be clear. Not literally. We don't literally have a gate, but yes, figuratively, for sure. Yes, um, and and what you're talking about would not fly in our neighborhood. Um, although there is a house just down the street I call the Cracker Barrel House because their front lawn is filled with things that look like they got from a Cracker Barrel. You know the stores at Cracker Barrel? The yeah. Com- the company store. So they have a, you know, they've got a sign, you know, one of those little arrow signs pointing to a tree, uh, nailed to the tree. It says, the beach is this way and and Chicago's that way and and the gazebo's that way. And they got that and they've got a garden gnome and they've got, uh, you know, those little twirly flowers that are, you know, that spin in the wind. And the, it's, like, it's like they went into a Cracker Barrel and just, bought out the Cracker Barrel and and, the, and they populated their front yard with that stuff. But generally, yeah, the, the tableau you're talking about does not fly in, uh, on the North Shore. Well, it's actually, and you make a good point, it's actually an extension to me of what a lot of people have started doing on their front porches. And we've talked about a kind of going all Mayberry on the front porch, you know, the rocking chairs, and then maybe there's a little side table between the rocking chairs. And then you can have, you know, there's a vase or something, and there's a wind chime. So you set up your little scene on the porch, but some people now want to extend it into the front yard, right? So do those stories now have to relate to each other does the front yard tableau have to somehow relate to the you know i i don't know i don't know i uh yeah 
You know what? And that's one nice thing about the pandemic. I never noticed these things before because I really never went for long reflective walks in my neighborhood like I do now. You probably also like about the pandemic that it, it allows you to interact even less with your neighbors. Truth be told, yes. Tom Karamitis, there's a song from a sign, Simon and Gump, Garfunkel song that goes, I don't believe in friendships. Friendship causes pain. It always makes you think of Tom Karamitis. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. <laughs> is, is that from the song? Yes, that's the next line. <laughs> I am a rock. I am an island. <laughs> So what did you do yesterday, Gary? Well, I uh, I had my car photographed, Tom. Before you go any further, we were originally supposed to record this yesterday, but you had something important to do. I had I to did. get my car photographed. Professionally oh. shot. Why? Well, it's kind of a long story, so... Uh, uh, we, we, we go through a lot of cars. I go through less cars than I used to, but I used, but, but I go through a lot of cars. I, I, you know, I don't, I rarely buy new, almost always buy used and I just get interesting cars. I, I like weird cars. I like cars that not many other people like, like station wagons and cars with manual transmissions and, and big boxy cars they don't make anymore. And, and one of those is a, a Volkswagen Eurovan, which they stopped making about 20 years ago. And so um, we had a Eurovan for 20 years. It's this weird car that's like the, the middle seats face each other. There's a picnic table that pulls out in the middle. There's a refrigerator underneath the picnic table. The, it has a pop-up tent that you can sleep up top. So this is all in one car. It has curtains on the side. So it's just one of these weird cars. And, and so that car um, got in a wreck and, um, and it got totaled. Everyone was fine, but the car was totaled. So we got another car and we decided to get another Eurovan because you know they they just don't they don't make cars like that anymore. It's a it's a unicorn. So you bought another twenty year old Eurovan. Yes. So they so so this is a Volkswagen, right? Yes. And they haven't made this vehicle in a long time. So you you when the last one died, you set off to find another one of the same vintage. No, uh, we were actually looking at other cars, and then we stumbled across this one, and. Um, you know, Lisa does a lot of food delivery for charity, and so it holds more than any other car. And so we were like, well, let's just get another one. So we went to a used car lot and got it, and it's a good car. But then, um, you know, after a, a month or so of owning it, Lisa said, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't have, it's not, it's a Eurovan, but not the Eurovan. It's not the Eurovan that our kids grew up with. And, you know, the big red toaster, we called it. So now, so I decided to sell the Eurovan, uh, and I decided to sell it on an auction site called bringatrailer.com. If any of you are into cars, it's a great auction site. They auction off interesting, weird, collectible, quirky cars, some new, some old, some cheap, some very expensive exotics, um, but it, only interesting cars, like, like a car that Tom Caramidas drives would not be on bring a trailer your 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 subaru outback would not be on unless somebody stuffed a, a 12 liter v, v12 turbo into into the engine bay and then it might get on bring a trailer now i'm picturing the vehicle that uncle rico had in napoleon dynamite is that this vehicle yeah 
and it's not it's not exactly that vehicle, but it's um it's in that uh in is that, that a Euro spir- in that spirit. No, that's a um I believe that's an old um that's an old Dodge van. That's a okay. Dodge van. Yeah. Okay. Um that Uncle Rico customized and painted the sides with. I think added those porthole windows <laughs> on the side. No, this is a uh different, but the same spirit, same spirit, a uh Quirky car. So, uh, so we're sounded on this auction site, and you can follow the auction when it goes live in a week or two. It's a uh, Colorado red Volkswagen Eurovan, and you can bid on it if you'd like. It's a great car. I've got to explain why I only owned it for a month. That'll be, you know, tricky. But um, yeah, it's going on the auction site. So a person from Bring a Trailer came and photographed it yesterday in the local church parking lot. Uh, so what did you have to pay this photographer to do this? Oh, that's kind of a personal question, Tom. Well, all right. <laughs> it, it would would uh, would $200 be about right, would you say or uh 350. Okay. But but there's a very uh bring your trailer is a very I learned this. They've got a mandated shot list of something like 200 shots that they need to get of every angle, interior, exterior, details, underside. And they're professional photographers too. They're car photographers, so you know they'll make it look nice. So did he bring lights and stuff? Yeah, oh. yeah. He bought some lights and yeah, yeah. Shot it and so that, that's that's what I did yesterday, Tom. So now it was photographed yesterday, and the auction will be when goes live in probably a week or two. They got to get the picture to get pictures together and write the listing. Mm. So uh, yeah, never done it before. Never. I have sold cars on eBay and. Uh, craigslist but i've never done bring a trailer so related to cars do you change your own wiper blades no this is a source of humiliation for me actually so i i um i don't know how to do it i don't i know that it should be very simple instructions but i don't know how to do it and so i shamefully go to the auto zone or whatever and buy the wiper blades and they install them and the whole time I'm just I'm just mortified at my lack of manliness and inability to do something like that, that they have to put the wiper blades on for me. All right. Well, I'll make you feel better because, first of all, they are very complicated. They're not intuitive at all. I have done it myself many times. I tried to do it yesterday with my current car, and I couldn't get the old blade to snap off, so I exerted a little too much force. I ended up bending the wiper arm I went to my Hyundai dealer, and there's a that's a two hundred fifty dollar repair. Oh. They have to order a new arm and install it, and oh. so yeah, oh. just goes to show your instinct was correct. Go to the AutoZone, have them pop it on. But it really is an emasculating experience. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um. Could could you like, <laughs> uh, could you open my gas cap for me? <laughs> I uh, don't don't know how to do it. It's the only thing more emasculating and humiliating than having someone else having to have someone else put on your wiper blade is waiting in line at the Costco for a free sample. You're like sixth in line. This is pre-pandemic. You're like sixth in line for a little piece of cheese, and you're standing there going, <laughs> "How did I get here?" You know that great Talking Heads. How did I get here? I find it's equally emasculating to be at the car dealership and they're explaining to you what, what's wrong with the car and you really don't understand. You yeah. really don't. 
and you nod and you're, you realize you're so powerless at that point. You don't know if what he's about to tell you is $75 or $750 and frankly, it wouldn't make a difference anyway. I, um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, now, I know Gary Doyle never goes to the dealership. Gary Doyle is much more of a find a mechanic you like. Well, but I imagine even... You're a fool if you bring your car to a dealership out of warranty. You're a fool. That's how that the, that's the source of their profits. That's their that's their profit margin comes not from selling cars but from service. Service is so high. You should never go to the dealer for an out of warranty car. You should always find an independent mechanic. You're crazy if you go to the dealership. Tom. Well, you qualified it by saying out of warranty. So well, of course you're going to go there when it's under warranty, but you're a fool if you take your car to a dealer. They are. Uh, I had an old Mercedes wagon one time, and there was a little there was a little tiny door in the dash that would hide a little place where you kept coins or something, and it was this little spring loaded door that that quit opening. And I took it to the dealer, and they said, "Yeah, that'll be seven hundred dollars." Yeah, well, we I had that real quickly recently on on, on Alexa's car. Uh, I took it to a place. Uh, it was making a terrible noise. I thought it just needed a new muffler, and they said the whole exhaust system was shot, and they gave me an estimate for twenty five hundred dollars. And then she found a local mechanic up in Madison, Wisconsin, who said, "No, all it needs is a new resonator, a hundred dollars." So, so there you go. See, Tom, that's why the children are our future. Let them lead the way. You know, show them all the ger- all the magic they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride. I remember long ago. Never walk in anyone's shadow. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I lived in dignity. And on that note. So concludes another 33 minutes of fun. For Gary Doyle, this is Tom Karamidas reminding you to listen once again to So There!